Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome this evening's moderator from the Daily Beast, Kevin Fallon. Hello. Welcome to today's Meet the Actor talk. Um, We're talking about the movie Mr. Holmes. We'll be calling out uh, Miss Laura Linney and Mr. or Sir Ian McKellen in just a moment. But first, we're going to check out the trailer. So take a look. is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Was that him? My mother, she wonders if you have brought your famous hat. The deer stalker? I've never worn one. And a pipe? I prefer a cigar. Did you do the thing? <laughs> the cane shows the marks of a dog's teeth. The wood is from an island southwest of Madeira. That thing. That was an embellishment of Dr. Watson. If I ever write a story myself, it will be to correct the myriad misconceptions created by his imaginative license. Murder, Mr. Kelmont. Murder. I didn't know you wrote stories. I decided to get it right before I die. You're not going to die. I had a great uncle who lived to be 102. What are the odds that you would know two men who would live that long? Well, I didn't actually know him. <laughs> We're about to start an investigation. If you need suspects, you know where to find me. A man comes to Baker Street, you say you've come about your wife. How could you tell? When you're a detective and a man comes to visit you, it's usually about his wife. My Anne has changed. Yesterday I followed her. It is highly poisonous. A drop will more than suffice. Planning an escape with the mystery man. What possible motive could you have had? I demand you produce her. Oswald, it is a wish to know if you are this man's wife. No. Voila! Now, Roger's been a help to you. He's always been clever. It's evidence. Now we must solve it. Convincing set of circumstances signaling your intention to murder your husband. Mr. Holmes. Um, so first, uh, a little bit of a programming note. Uh, Sir Ian is running a little bit late, so we're going to kick things off with a conversation with Laura Linney, who I'd like to invite out right now. Hello. Hello, Laura Linney. Well, hello there. Um, Hi. So we just saw the trailer of Sir Ian McKellen playing Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Um, I think for many of us, the idea of Sir Ian playing Sherlock Holmes in his later years is just about as perfect as things can get. Mm -hmm. um, what was your first reaction when you heard that this project was happening with him attached? Well, I was, you know, Bill Condon, who has directed this movie, I've worked with four or five times, and he's one of my favorite directors. So, and I will do anything he asks me to do. So he came and and said that, I, you know, not only was it him, not only was it Bill, but it was a movie about Sherlock Holmes, who I've been obsessed with since I was a little girl. Um, and then on top of that, it was Ian. And Ian and I have been fond acquaintances for 
the last 20 years. We have Armistead Maupin in common as a, as a mutual best friend. So I've always known of Ian through Armistead, but was never able to sort of claim him as my own friend. So the combination of Sherlock Holmes, Bill Condon, and Ian McKellen, and, and filming in England, which is one of my favorite places to work, it was, uh, it was a great experience and kind of as wonderful as you would you'd think mm -hmm. it would be. So pe people might think that at this point there's not much left to explore about Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. but um, could you tell people who haven't seen the film yet what makes sure. this telling so special? Well, the thing that's sort of that I keep coming back to over and over again is that there's certain characters in sort of the literary canon that somehow miraculously can survive all sorts of interpretations. And Sherlock Holmes, you can do almost anything to this character and you still learn something about him. It's still compelling. It's still interesting. It never seems far-fetched. So you have um, William Gillette, who was an American actor who sort of started the um, performance art of Sherlock Holmes. He was the first actor to perform him and did it on stage here in the States. You know, then there are the Basil Rathbone movies and then go to 7% Solution with Nicole Williamson and then now there's Robert Downey Jr. and there's Benedict Cumberbatch and, and now there's Ian and every single one of them sort of contributes something that's different and exciting and, and Ian uh, is sort of showing us all uh, Sherlock is a much older man and what happens to a brilliant mind when a brilliant mind gets much older, uh, when someone whose identity is completely wrapped up in the in the, the sharpness of their thought and the you know the versatility of their observation, when those facilities start to dim a little bit, what what happens to someone's identity? What happens to their anxieties? What what happens to them? And that's where your character comes in. Mm -hmm. um, you play Mrs. Monroe. Mm -hmm. uh, Sherlock's housekeeper, mm -hmm. and you two have quite an interesting relationship, to say the yeah. least. Um, how would you describe your interactions with Sherlock? Well, I uh, Sherlock Holmes has retired to the country, and he's and there's a little mystery about why he has retired and why he retired there, and why he walked away from his rather illustrious career, and that's part of the mystery that the movie investigates. So he has come to Sussex, where he he lives alone with his uh, housekeeper. It's a woman named Mrs. Monroe, who's a war widow, a typical woman of the time whose life was turned upside down by the war, lost her husband, is the mother to a, a 10-year-old son. And like many women of the time, she found herself desperately needing to be employed, but put in, a, in service that she was not quite qualified for. So she's not a great housekeeper, but there she is. She is his <laughs> housekeeper. And she sort of struggles to to deal with this rather difficult, eccentric personality in Sherlock Holmes at the same time while raising a son and grieving all at the same time. So that's, that's sort of my, my part of the story. You've played um, iconic characters before and you've played against uh, actors who are playing iconic characters before. Few characters are as iconic as Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. It's um, like Santa Claus. Exactly. I mean, you know, they're just everybody knows Sherlock Holmes. I mean, like everyone knows Santa Claus. He's really a, he's one of the great, great characters. And there are certain challenges when you're an actor playing a great character like that that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. um, was there a moment, or did you see sort of the journey to Ian sort of embodying this character in a way that it was both instantly recognizable as Sherlock Holmes, but also Sir Ian's version mm -hmm. of Sherlock Holmes. Well, with a character that is so well-known, it can work for you and work against you. And it works for you because everyone knows the character before you've even opened your mouth. Mm -hmm. So you come with a whole preconceived notion of who this character is, how they will behave, how they will speak, how they walk, whether you're aware of it or not. 
So you have that going for you. Um, what people get nervous about is that you'll disappoint, is that people will not buy it, will not, um, will not care for your interpretation. However, this is a, 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 a view of a Sherlock Holmes that no one's ever seen before, mm -hmm. you know, a much older one. And, you know, Ian kind of knows what he's doing. <laughs> I've heard. So, I've yeah, heard, He's yeah. all right. He's okay. Um, so he, uh, you know, so what he had to offer was very much his, and he was very relaxed within it. I know that he didn't do an enormous amount of in-depth research. So, I mean, he knew what he knew about Sherlock Holmes, and I think he reread some of the stories. But he sort of trusted his own instincts and and reacted off of what our director had provided for us in the environment in which we were working to sort of help flesh out the whole, the whole thing. But it's, it, it, it's a great idea. It's just a great idea to see this character that we all know mm -hmm. as he's haunted and struggling with, uh, with growing older. What was your history with Sherlock Holmes and with you know, that literature mm -hmm. and that character? I, I grew up here in Manhattan and my father was a playwright and, and lived on the Upper West Side. And, and he gave me for my, I think it was my eighth or ninth birthday, the complete works of Sherlock Holmes as a gift. And I, I loved it. And I became really obsessed and very geeky about Sherlock Holmes. I had a sweatshirt that said Sherlock Holmes on the back of it that I wore nonstop. I was, I sort of like many people, you know, sort of fell in love with uh, the power of that personality, the, how much, how so much smarter he was than anyone else in the room, that there was an elegance and a romanticism about him living in during that time in England, how, you know, two to one Baker Street and Watson and Moriarty and all of those people. I just, I just fell in love with the character the way that many, many, many other people have as well. So it's, it's someone who I've always, and I, and I, and I love seeing any interpretation that anyone mm -hmm. has to have or offer about Sherlock Holmes. I mean, Seven Percent Solution is one of my favorite movies. That's just a great, that's, if none of you have seen it, it's, it's really, really good. And, and what is it about that character that has lasted through all of these years and has been so ripe for all those different interpretations and, you know, all those different movies and films and TV well, shows? He's, he's kind of a rock star. You know, he's, he's brilliant. He's a loner. He's possibly a drug addict. He's a musician. You know, it's kind of like, you know, he's kind of the, the, like the bad boy who's the unattainable bad boy for, for everybody. He's, he's aloof. He's disconnected. He's moody. He's um, voracious. He has appetites all over the place. But he's, he's passionate but detached. He's, you know, he, he's just ripe for people to be, you want more from someone like that who doesn't want to give more to you. So it's, it's sort of classic a classic recipe for for a for an idol really are you a fan of Benedict Cumberbatch's I'm a fan version? of all of them I am yeah. I think they all have something really really interesting to offer um, I'd love to sort of have them all at one table <laughs> you know Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Robert Downey Cumberbatch Jr. And, and, and Ian and you know and you know they all have they all bring something uh, specific and different mm -hmm. and uh, you know Nicole Williamson was sort of the really, the, for me, fascinating, sort of the dark psychology of the haunted, tortured, drug addict Sherlock Holmes, you know. It's, and, and Basil Rathbone was the sort of dashing, a little over the top, a little big um, debonair. You know, I sort of loved him as well. I, you know, so I really like them all. And Ian has something equally as potent to, to mm -hmm. offer. Um, it, was, it was really fun to watch. And what people might not know is that in this movie, Ian is playing um, 
uh, Sherlock in his 90s. 93. He's 93. Um, Sir Ian McKellen is not in his 90s. No. Ian is nowhere near, nowhere near that. Ian. Um, what was it like watching that transformation? There's makeup, there's difference yeah, in its physicality. Was, well, you know, how, how was that process? There was, you know, when you're dealing with prosthetics in film, they can either be disastrous or they can really be magical. In this case, they were, they were quite wonderful. He had full prosthetics on that were terrific. Um, and you can see him in the movie playing not only, you know, 93, but it flashes back to, you know, many decades before. So you can see him go back and forth between this very elegant, well-cut figure of a man to someone who's aging and still struggling to, to keep engaged and, and present. Um, and I don't know if, if any of you have seen the poster, it's, a, it's a, quite a, a striking image. Um, so, and it was fantastic to watch the choices, the physical choices that he mm -hmm. would make and, and how, you know, so much of, of Ian's personality and Sherlock's personality would sort of bleed through, um, even with all these prosthetics on, like it's still, it just kind of came right through it. It was amazing. Uh, you mentioned that this is, um, one of many times we've worked with Bill Condon. Um, when you work with the director as often as you have with him, do you develop a sort of shorthand that sort of makes filming go by with mm -hmm. flash? Yeah, there, there's nothing better than working with friends, with friends who are talented and really good and know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, there's nothing better than, than that sort of collaborative relationship over a long period of time. And we've, we've worked together a lot and I hope that we'll work together, you know, many more times as well. Mm -hmm. But there is a shorthand, there's a, you just instantly trust each other. You know, I, I, if, if he comes up and says something to me, I, I don't have to think twice. I will just do it because I know he's right. And, um, and he's very collaborative. Mm -hmm. You know, the, I find that the really the best people tend to be, they're just not threatened. They're not threatened by other ideas. They're not threatened by things changing. They're not threatened by a little bit of chaos. They stay very calm and they sort of accept what they know will be better. And they just ignore what, what doesn't, what they don't want to engage him. Mm -hmm. and you mentioned his willingness to, to collaborate, but w what else is it about him that you and he sort of gel in, in this way? We just like each other. <laughs> you know, I think it's pretty basic. I think you just, you just like each other. And I think we both um, enjoy the same things. You know, I think we're both attracted to the same emotional uh, and psychological dynamics and stories. Um, I think we both are uh, quickly engaged in the technical problems of filmmaking as well as the the sort of at times mysterious at times very perfunctory um, aspects of acting and, and putting a scene together um, he's a writer my father was a writer so I have a sense of text I've you know most a lot of actors who come from the theater Ian include are very text story and mm -hmm. it's always sort of story first so I'm always very aware of where a scene is placed what is its function? What is my character doing, not only as my character within the story, but also as the function of the telling of the story? Am I doing something in this scene that pushes this character forward into their next scene? Like what, what are those, what are the responsibilities as a storyteller do I have? Um, so we talk a lot about that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we geek out. We just geek out on story and acting and filmmaking and lenses and cameras and, you know, all of that. Well, speaking of all of that, we have um, a clip from Mr. Holmes that we'd like to, to show everybody. Great. Roll it. No, 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 no. Is this the royal jelly? Yes, well, we're not using it anymore. 
instead, we're going to use this. It's called prickly ash. Is it food? Mm. Oh, looks like it came out the downspout. It came from Japan. That makes all the difference. And you add it in as you would the royal jelly in the tea or the coffee. Mm. And you should try cooking with it to enhance your specialities. So, uh, as we can see, there's a little bit of antagonistic uh, relations tension. between the two of you. Little tension. Um, that glare that you give him is pretty fantastic. What is, um, when, when you're working with someone like Ian, who is so lovely um, from, all, from all stories that we've heard. Mm -hmm. uh, That's true. It's what, all what, true. How do you get to that point where you can shoot him a dagger so vicious <laughs> with your eyes? Well, it's, 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 you know, it's the joy of telling a story together. You know, so it's, um, and also you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you, you can read something on the page and, you know, what I, what I tend to do is only speaking for myself, I'll prepare as much as I can, prepare, 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 prepare. And then you get to the scene and you hear something being said to you a certain way. I saw a really good looking guy walk in that room. I think he's on his way. Um, uh, and then they'll, they'll say something in a way that you, uh, that takes you off guard, that you have no idea, that you didn't anticipate. And that's where, where all the fun is. You've done all this preparation to get you to a point where you can just let it all go. And then just whatever, whatever choice you make or whatever happens is going to be right because you've done, you've done all this preparation. So it's, it's a very liberating thing. And when you have another actor who also works in the same way um, and is willing just to, 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 to let go and jump in, and, you know, then, it's, then it's really fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could see the tension in that scene, but yeah. by the end of the film, you really warm up to Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Things change. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, can you give everyone a little bit of a, a story? Of, oh! <laughs> just for you, just for you. Well, hello, Sir Ian McKellen. Hello. <laughs> We've been talking about your film, Mr. Holmes. Yes. In which you play Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Uh, we've been discussing a little bit about the iconic nature of this character and the sort of challenges that go along with playing a, a character so iconic. Yes. Um, did approaching those challenges and approaching a character like this that everyone is familiar with and everyone knows, did that scare you or excite you? How did, how did you jump into this? Well, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't remember the first time I heard about Sherlock Holmes. I, mean, I feel I've always known him. And you were a real keen fan, weren't you, at an early age? But I must have read Sherlock Holmes. But then I've seen Sherlock Holmes on television, on the big screen, on radio. John Gielgud played Sherlock Holmes with, uh, with Orson Welles as Moriarty. You, you, uh, some of the worst work either of them ever did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I've, I've seen Sherlock Holmes on stage a number of times. So... There we are, he's always been there, but what it is that we always recognize in him, I'm not sure. I mean, the man who solves the problem, of course, and um, solves the problem before you do, reading the book or watching the, the film. Uh, Did you so, see Crucifer of Blood? Do you remember Crucifer of Blood? I saw, Did yes, any of you see Crucifer Paul of Giovanni, Blood? Paul, Paul Giovanni, have I got that right? It was a right? wonderful Broadway production many it years was. ago, that was a good one. It was terrific. Uh, that, was a, that, that was a pretend, that was a made-up story, wasn't it? Not, so I don't know. He, is it, does that make it frightening? 
now you feel, oh, this is, this is comfortable territory that I'm familiar with. But, of course, the fun of this story is uh, that, unlike all the others, we believe that Sherlock Holmes was a real person. Not fiction, not made up, not pretend. Those aren't sets. Those are real places, and these are real people. And for me, that's rather touching, because in our story, when he's 93 years old in 1947, before you were born, I was already born, and I was almost at the right age to play uh, young Milo's part in, in, in our film. So I just feel an, an, a nice connection with the old man. Um, well, there we are. I don't, what else can I say? It's a very difficult film to talk about. You have to go and see it. It's unlike any movie you've ever seen. It, you know, often you see a movie and you think, I've seen this before. And you have, actually, different characters. But it's all the same. But I, this one is a, a real original. <laughs> <laughs> and Laura is exquisite in it. She really is. Uh, I mean, amazing. Uh, uh, she, she, she plays a, an English uh, character with an impeccable, detailed, exact uh, British accent. And uh, that in itself would be a miracle. But then everything else, wonderful. Um, Huge fan, I am. Mm. When, you, uh, when you play a character that is so well-known and has such a passionate group of fans, um, they can be very protective of that character. Um, as I'm sure you're aware of um, with fans of Lord of the Rings and, and X-Men, many of whom are here today. Um, does that add another layer of, of complication when you're taking on a character, that there is a group of people that are already waiting for you to either please or disappoint them um, with the way that you're portraying them? You know, I, I, when I played Hamlet, a play by William Shakespeare that many actors uh, have played, uh, a, 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 a gay couple who I knew well came to see it and they burst into the dressing room after and said, congratulations, you're our 71st Hamlet. <laughs> so what possible expectations could they have had that it was worthwhile, you know, that what could I possibly tell them? They said, we remember something about every Hamlet we've ever seen. For instance, John Neville, wonderful. He had a little hole in his tights right there. <laughs> That was uh, John Neville's contribution to... Uh, <laughs> so, I, so it doesn't really worry me that there are all these other uh, uh, um, Sherlock's. About. I've just been to visit one. Uh, oh. uh, Johnny uh, Lee Miller on, on his set, uh, Elementary. Uh, yeah. So uh, Mr. Holmes met Sherlock uh, just now, <laughs> which is partly why I'm late. I'm sorry. Um, you, you mentioned that this is a special film, that it's unlike anything we've seen before. And particularly with Sherlock Holmes, it's unlike anything we've seen before because we're so used to celebrating his reason and his logic and his skills of deduction. And this is a film that's very much focused on his journey to learning that human interaction and emotion and feeling is just as important. And Laura, your character plays a big part in that too. Um, when you're doing something like this, which is special and different for something that's as iconic as Sherlock, what, what is that pr process like? And what, what, is that exciting for you guys to be able to do that? And what, just what is that like? It is if you get to work with Ian McKellen. <laughs> you know, when you get to work, um, you know, with people who are who are as interested as you are in the 
the humanness of, of any situation, regardless how famous, how exciting a character is, how complicated. They're, they're, they're the basic universal themes, fear, anxiety, love, hunger, lust, you know, all of those things that everybody has. And when you have actors who are not afraid to completely go right into the eye of, of uh, you know, that uh, dynamic, it, it's very exciting. I, I've played a lot of real people uh, in my time. Um, of course, Hamlet was a real person. There was a prince of Denmark called Hamlet, and then there was a Macbeth, and there was a uh, there was a King Lear, actually. Uh, but I've also played um, D. H. Lawrence, the novelist. I've also played T. Lawrence, the um, uh, the um, how would you describe him, the revolutionary fighter in the uh, Middle East. I, I played Adolf Hitler, and all these real people, you've got to look like them a bit, and you've got to, the audience has to sort of believe all that side of it, which is nothing really to do with acting, that's to do with mimicry, and uh, uh, what matters is what goes on inside, and the, the insides we've never seen. So, that was the fun of this. Uh, you know, look like Sherlock Holmes a little bit, put on a false nose, um, um, sweep the hair back, wear, wear the costume, oh yeah, I recognize Sherlock. Uh, but then get on with the business, which is, as you explained, uh, uh, an old man, uh, decrepitude approaching, end of his life, something still bothering him. He doesn't know what it is, and he doesn't know what it is because it's a part of himself that he's not really explored. It's his heart. So on top of everything else, it's a sweet and uh, loving and, and optimistic story because the Sherlock Holmes at the end... Uh, of this film is a man you might like to spend some time with at the beginning. He's a grouchy person who's perfectly horrible to uh, uh, Laura's character, and she to him, actually. Uh, and they, 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 they both learn that there can be a friendship there, and uh, uh, engineered, brokered by, by uh, Laura's son in the film. So, yeah, it's... Uh, because I always knew we were end going, the film was going to end, uh, with a likable person, uh, a person at ease with himself. It's a wonderful last shot, I say it myself, I, when, when he lays down stones on the ground for, for people who are dead, his people he's acquainted with, and he realizes that actually these stones represent friendship that he hadn't recognized. Wonderful. And then, then he lifts up his arms, simply because I did it one day. And he's thanking the numinous, I think, or aware that sometime it's all going to end and not far off, and it'll be all right. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, I was just watching it the other day and thinking, wouldn't it be nice if, if Sherlock Holmes cross-legged on the ground, surrounded by these little stones of his friends and his arms in the air, suddenly, uh, suddenly levitated into the sky? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, part of that journey to becoming a likable Sherlock Holmes, as, as you mentioned, um, has to do with Laura Linney's uh, son, played by Milo Parker. We actually have a clip of the two of you together, so let's, let's watch that clip. What possible motive could that German woman have had to kill Anne? That night, I searched for something to jog my memory of the actual case. And there it was. A picture. You know, a few years ago, I could have told you everything about the woman in that photograph. Certainly, I'd recall what had become of her, whether she was victim or culprit. But that night, 
I don't remember any of it. All I knew for certain was that the case was my last and it was why I left the profession, came down here, retired to my bees. So, I decided to write the story down on paper as it was, not as John made it. Get it right before I die. You're not going to die. <laughs> Bodger. I'm 93. I had a great uncle who lived to be 102. Well, then, that seals my fate. What are the odds that you would know two men who would live that long? Well, I didn't actually know him. <laughs> Uh, I, I thought there was a remarkably good bit of acting where, where, where he, Holmes stopped um, speaking as if he didn't quite know what to say next. Uh, it's because I couldn't remember what to say next. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard walking uphill and, and, and remembering your lines. No, that's not true. That, it looks like a, 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 a travel um, video for the British Tourist Board, doesn't it? <laughs> it's so... This movie's that, those really are the pretty. white cliffs of Dover you see in the background. The, why, there will be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover. Tomorrow, just you wait and see. Uh, and there we were. Uh, and that's the channel, and beyond the channel is France. And uh, there it all is. I, it... Um, very British movie, and as I was pointing out last night at the premiere, it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the Americans. I don't just mean Laura, uh, playing the leading lady, uh, but our, our director, uh, our writers, the novel on which it's based, our producers, all American, uh, but uh, a, a lot of Brits. Some good, wonderful actors in it, uh, British actors. You'll know um, Francis de la Tour from uh, Vicious, if, uh, if not other things, and uh, Rod, Roger Allen, one of our great... Uh, Actors and, uh, and and many others. Yeah, sorry, I'm just gabbling on. <laughs> so uh, in this film, Sherlock is uh, retired. He he's been forced into retirement. Uh, looking at the upcoming docket of things that you have going on, it doesn't seem like retirement is anywhere near in your future. Um, in fact, uh, I, there's word that you are also working on an autobiography. Yes, I, I have agreed to do that. Yeah. Um, how does starring in a film in which you play you, you wouldn't like Holmes, to write it for me, would you? I mean, I, I mean, are you actually asking because I would very much like to write Terry <laughs> 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 <Sir Ian> McKellen's <laughs> autobiography? <laughs> but how does acting in a film in which uh, Sherlock Holmes is is very much trying to write his own truth, his own life story? Yes, there you go. Yeah. How does that yes. um, influence your own yeah. uh, endeavor? Oh, I see. Uh, well, yes, absolutely. I mean, I wonder how many other ninety-three-year-olds. can say regrets, I've had a few, uh, a lot, I would suspect. But how many then say, do you know, I could do something about it, I could find out what it was, I could deal with it, uh, tidy it up before I go? It was a big event in his life, he retired. 30 years ago, he stopped being the man he was because something happened. What was it that happened? That's the journey he goes on to find out. And he's running against time because, you know, the brain's going, the body's collapsing. But he's got help at hand uh, with with uh, little uh, the little boy there. But uh, yes, I think I shall probably find, as I look back to write this memoir, that uh, there are. Th I tell you a little story. 
Um, when I was nine years old, I fell in love, uh, I think for the first time, uh, uh, this will you, with a girl. <laughs> Just a phase I was going through. And um, <laughs> Wendy, Wendy Cadwallader, she was adorable. And, and our, our families had been on holiday together. And I, for a time, I was left alone with their family and, and Wendy. And we used to sit. Uh, rather on hills like that, looking out wistfully at the sea and holding hands. And when we parted, we wrote letters to each other. You don't know what a letter is, but it's something you used to write down and uh, give to the mailman, and he delivered it the next day to... And waiting for the love letter was exquisite pain. Anyway, that was 60-odd uh, years ago, and uh, I was at the National Theatre about a month back, uh, and in the intermission, I could see this old lady approaching me. Mm -hmm. She said, Ian, uh, yes, and she said, uh, uh, I'm Wendy. I said, Wendy Cadwallader, yes. I said, oh, my goodness me. Oh, we were in love, weren't we? Oh, yes, she said. I said, we wrote letters to each other. Oh, yes, she said. I said, have you still got those letters? Mindful that I'm about to do my memoir. She said, hmm. No, she said, I, I, I'm sorry, I burnt them on the morning of my marriage. She kept them. What was in those letters? Anyway. <laughs> but here you go. Is that a regret? No, because it gave me great pleasure. But I'm, that, that relationship didn't develop into a friendship is a pity, but... I shall see more of Wendy, I expect. She's a grandmother, of course. Likes going to the theatre. Mm. <laughs> the good sort. Um, now we're going to open up for audience questions. I'm sure there are many. Hi, how are you? Hi. Um, I just wanted to know, I've had the privilege of seeing both of you on Broadway and all the things you've done on screen as well. And I just wanted to know, what do you prefer from a storytelling point of view? What are the great things about doing it from two points of view? Want me to take that one? Yeah. Um, it, this is a very long conversation to have. <laughs> this, is, this is the type of thing There's that we could talk it. about for a very, very long time. Um, I, I sort of compare them to like tennis and swimming. You know, they're both, there's similarities, but they're wildly different. The, the lifestyle is different, the requirements are different, but the commitment is the same. Uh, what the theater has that film doesn't have is time. And what time does to work over the running of it and how you have no control over that. A play will deepen and connections will be made, stories will become richer only with doing it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the joy of watching what time will do to, to you, to your fellow actors, to your connection to the set, to your connection to the audience, to the familiarity with the piece, to your, um, your confidence and, and all that, that's a, a remarkable experience to have. Um, what film does, which is, it's very exciting, is there's so much of it's just out of your hands. So for me, I always feel I'm sliding on ice a little bit, in the best way. I really don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea how it's going to be. There's been no rehearsal. I've learned the lines, but they could all change the next day. I, I don't know how those clothes are going to feel on my body. I don't, you know, it's all like, whoa, here we go. So they each have wonderful, um, they're just very different. And, and fortunately, I, I love them both. So that's, 
That's what I have to say. Well, that, that should be an introduction to a handbook on acting. Uh, it's a one, wonderful uh, way of uh, summing it up. I, I, I just add one thing, is that uh, we don't do this job really for any other reason than to entertain an audience. No audience, no actors. Now a film, of course, uh, can run in an empty cinema. Nobody Many there. of mine have. <laughs> uh, nobody there, but the film is happening. Now, in the theatre, it only happens because you, we, and the audience are there. And, and, and I'd recommend the theatre, for those of you who don't know it, it's closer to real life. It's closer to a, a side of life which we're in danger of losing. Uh, the immediate contact. Everything goes on through machines if, if we're not careful. Not for us here, but for people watching this, they're not with us. Uh, it, it, it's us, you know, and just us, and just for now, never again. Uh, and that's the sense you have in the theatre, that it, it's, it's human communication uh, and, and all its immediacy. And there's something about having a communal witness. having Because yeah. when you're on stage, the audience become sort of one being. It's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing that happens. When you're on stage, the house, all of you sort of become one big organism. And, uh, it, it's a, it's a, and there's nothing like the silence of a lot of people listening at the same time, or the sound of silence, really. It's, there's no, it, it's not like quiet in an empty room. There's a slightly different quality to the to the quiet, which yeah. I, you know, concentrated silence is really something. And I, you know, I don't play music at home. It, it, it baffles any guests. I mean, they say, where's the sound system? I say, well, I, I've got one, but I don't know how it works. So I'm sorry to say that in this particular place, but I, I don't, um, it, it's all a blank to me. But I love going to hear live music and any sort, orchestral concert, the proms are coming up in London, I can't wait. Uh, and a rock concert, fantastic. A, a play, wonderful. In a big theater, a small theater, I don't care. Musical, I don't care what it is, as long as it's live and happening and I'm there. And uh, uh, so I, I'm a bit, I'm a dinosaur, really, but um, I hope young people don't, they won't. They need it. We, we, we need storytelling and we need it to happen live. You don't want your mother's recorded voice putting you to sleep with a with a story, you want her there, you want to hear her breathe, you want to look into her eyes, you know, you, you, you want that immediate contact, and that's what the theater gives. You can tell which I prefer. That said, please download this podcast. <laughs> Hi, um, I was just, this is directed more towards, um, sorry, McKellen, but you can interpret it for yourself as well, um, Laura. Um, um, so in past um, fictional roles, um, su um, such as The Lord of the Rings, you chose inspiration from real characters like J.R.L. Tolkien. Was there any particular inspiration of a real person or even a story that you used for, to inspire your um, interpretation of Sherlock Holmes? Uh, yeah, my stepmother. Really? Because uh, I saw her through to her death, aged 100, and I watched her decline. Distressing. She used to say to me, why am I alive? What's happened? My friends have gone, but why am I here? 
And she was a Christian and she used to rail against the Almighty. And I said, Gladys, you're here to give inspiration to the rest of us who haven't got there yet. You're giving hope to other people. There is a purpose to your life. Uh, and uh, it's not a selfish one, it's, it's, it's a generous one. And so I thought about that with, with, with Sherlock and uh, helped me get inside it a bit. Hi. Um, first of all, Syrian, I was able to get the privilege to see you and Sir Patrick in Waiting for Godot on Broadway. And it was such a terrific performance, so thank you for that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, my question was actually to the both of you. I was just curious, as an actor, um, what made you want to do acting when you grew up? And uh, like, what, what made you want to become an actor? Yeah. You uh, read my book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, a, that is a deep question, actually. For some people, it's very simple, and for some people, it isn't. And I'm certainly one of those that I think it probably is a little of both. Um, I think there's something, it's connection, really. It's connection to other people. It's, uh, it's a, a, a sort of a, a schedule and a, and a rigorous challenge that I enjoy. It's, it's the work of uh, working with people. It's, and it feels very much like a family, you know, when you're doing it right and everyone, uh, you know, so it's, for me, it's, you know, for me, I, th I think it's that and, and God only knows when I'm, when I'm older, I might think that it's something else, but, but more than anything, it's, it's connection. It's getting as close to the truth of things that I, that I can get to. It's sort of that search for an understanding of the questions that I don't understand that I struggle with on a daily basis. So, uh, brief, Briefly, I, I think growing up gay at a time when it was illegal to be gay, you were criminalized if you had sex, uh, there was a big part of your life you could not uh, talk about or share with, with people, even, even those who were close to you. Uh, you, 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 you were a liar the world turned in, you into a lie. That may be why quite a lot of actors are gay, uh, because they escape real life and the miseries of that situation, and go into a world where you are expected to emote, where, where, where your inner life is, is precious to the project, uh, and, and where, frankly, amongst a group of actors, nobody gives a damn uh, who or what you are, as long as you're work, working hard and delivering. Uh, it does mean that your uh, acting is about disguise quite a lot of the time. And coming out, to follow on from that, um, acting is now for me uh, not about disguise, but about revelation, about truth, which for a long time I wasn't allowed to be. Truth. To both of you, um, what's the biggest difficulty between switching from a play to a movie? Because there are select actors who just stay in one or the other versus switching. Do you mean doing, doing, doing a play and then, then doing that play as a film? Is that what you meant? Or, or just... Uh, no, just going back and forth between oh, yeah. film. What's difficult about it? Well, I love it. I mean, uh, uh, a variety, a spice of life, you know. But uh, the, it's no more really uh, a difference than it would be to be working in a studio theater, let's say, with an audience of 100, and then going to a job which required um, you to project to an audience of you know, a couple of thousand. That would be 
challenge, different. Yeah. I, th I, th I think the challenge is keeping yourself in shape for the theater while you're doing film, because film requires a sort of a different, a, a type of endurance. Uh, they both require endurance, but there's a there's a different type of stress from doing one to the other. Um, so when you go back to the theater, you can find that you're a little out of shape, even though you've been on a set 14 hours a day. You haven't really been exercising. You haven't really been you know, dealing with your voice. You haven't been working out. You're not as strong. And it always takes me a while to, to get back into theater shape. And I always have a little anxiety if I haven't been on stage for a while. You sort of lose your, you lose your edge a little bit for the, for the theater. And that's, that's something that those of us who go back and forth struggle with a little bit. This question's all the way from here. This question is for Anne, and it might be a similar question to one of your previous questions. I love The Hobbit, first of all. I'm a huge fan. I'm like a diehard fan of The Hobbit. I want to know, what was your biggest motivation going from fantasy to superhero to animation to this? It's all the same. <laughs> really. Uh, as, uh, you know, the difference between swimming and tennis is a wonderful analogy. Uh, how could you separate out the difference between breakfast and dinner, you know? It's all food, probably the same ingredients, cooked a bit differently, tastes differently, but all does you good. I, I don't know. It's, uh, and you don't always know when you're making a huge movie uh, that it's going to have a huge impact, and equally, you... Um, uh, it's all work, isn't it? I don't know. It, uh, it all has its challenges, and uh, I would never want to get stuck doing the one thing any more than I'd want to be one of those actors, brilliant as they are, stars, uh, who uh, spend their whole life exploring one person themselves. I, I'm more interested in other people than myself. Hi. <laughs> okay. So, how much of all the characters you've both done, because there's been so many and they're all different, how much of yourselves do you allow to bleed into character to make it special? And you say it's a job, clearly, and you're both brilliant. I mean, uh, obviously, clearly, without saying. But do you feel, because I feel this way, that one role could really change one person's perspective on the world? Well, I know, I know from my experience as an, uh, an audience that uh, uh, whether it's a film or, or TV or anything, play, radio, there's always a possibility that your life could be changed hugely. Or a little bit. <laughs> or not at all, and then, oh dear. But, uh, so... Yeah, sometimes someone comes up to you and, and confirms that. It happened the other day. A, a, a woman said uh, she'd been to see me do a solo show called, uh, rather wittily, I thought, A Night Out. <laughs> Good. I got that one. Yeah. A Night Out with Ian McKellen. Uh, and uh, I, I, I talked about being gay. And... and she brought her 15 or 16 year old son, who she knew was puzzling over his own sexuality. And without telling him quite what the show was going to be, he sat there riveted, perhaps for the first time hearing a, an adult talk uh, openly about um, something that was so private to him. And she said he went back 
they went back home that night and talked for the rest of the night uh, about his situation. Uh, so when you're here, that, you just uh, think you're in the best job in the world, but. Uh, but all of those, if those things happen to happen, and it's sort of overwhelming to think that they might, it's, it's not the reason that we do it. And that's certainly not in the forefront of our minds as we take a job, show up to work every day, work. I mean, it's, you know, it's not that, if we were self-conscious about that, the possibility of making that much change, I don't think any of us could do our job or do it well. I think you'd be a little a little grand within yourself and then and, 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 and you get here, yourself into trouble. Here is the truth of the matter. We're actors. We are active. But we didn't write the material. We didn't have the idea. We didn't have that imagination. We didn't say, it's something I must tell the world. No, no. That all happens with the writer. That all happens with the, the people who really put the project together and, and get the story fixed. And then they give us a call and say, do you want to join? There's something that when, when you really stop and think about how hard it is for good work to be made. I mean, everything has to be aligned so perfectly. Design, sound, costumes, set, crew, relationships between actors. And then after the filming is done, editing and, and marketing and audio, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a miracle that any good movie ever gets made. I mean, it really is. It, and, and so, which is why particularly you know, us actors tend to be so elated when we see a friend of ours do, be in something that's really good. Because you know that it just doesn't happen very often. And it's, it, it, it's hard for all those things to be aligned, which is why not everybody can do it. You know? But it is, it's not about one person ever, ever. I want to read Laura Linley's book on, on acting and life. That's the title. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, speaking of stars aligning and movies being very, very good, please go see Mr. Holmes. Uh, He's out Friday, July 17th. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Ian, Sir Ian. Thank and you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you all.